Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 85 is an interview with sports scientist, Abby Coleman. Abby completed her degree in sports and exercise science at the University of Bath. She previously worked at the Porsche Human Performance Center as an exercise physiologist before joining the team at Precision Hydration. Together, we go over some running myths and listener questions. Are injuries or ongoing niggles causing running to be painful and thus ruining your enjoyment of your sport? Get on top of these now so that you can enjoy running again and get back to preparing for the upcoming race season or your running holiday. Come in and see the specialists at Health and High Performance where they utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you get back to your running best. So head to healthhp.com.au forward slash run to book an appointment and ensure you can run strong and pain-free. You can also, of course, find them on Instagram, Health High Performance, where they regularly post informative videos on how to prevent injuries and develop flexibility and strength. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Rating, reviewing and subscribing helps the podcast to grow and more runners like yourself find it. If you enjoy this episode, please do go on over and rate and review. I'd really appreciate it. Mash01 wrote, This podcast is essential listening not just because there are far too few women who dedicate precious hours of their busy lives to share their passion, knowledge and learning. Isabel has chosen fascinating people to have great conversations with. She has a talent to turn even the relatively mundane topics, e.g. nutrition or the importance of exercising other than running, into thought-provoking discussions. Every episode is different in content but exudes Isabel's enthusiasm for the sport and admiration, appreciation of the people she is talking to and the topics she is discussing. Thank you for the great company along long runs and while cooking, cleaning and ironing. Thank you so much for your heartfelt words and five stars and I'm so happy to keep you company, especially while cooking, cleaning and ironing. They're not exactly the most exciting of tasks, are they? Reading such reviews really warms my heart. If you are interested in taking your running to the next level, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to organise an individualised training plan. Enjoy the interview with Abby. I'm ready. Hi, Abby, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Hi, Isabel. Thank you for having me. You're making yourself a nice coffee there, bright and early in the morning? Yeah, yeah it is. It's, what's the time here? Let me double check. It's about 25 past seven in the morning here. So yeah, getting the coffee in. Yeah, it's needed. So you're a sports scientist. Can you tell the listeners what a sports scientist is, what it actually means to be a sports scientist? Yeah, sure. So I think it's quite a broad term um, and it's a good question because of that. I suppose it can mean different things. Um, I, I never quite know what to give as my job title. Sports scientist encompasses it best, but... I said to you before we started recording that you say sports scientist and you get every question about sport, every question related to science. And so you're constantly fielding sort of wild and wacky queries, which keeps you on your toes, um, but definitely means you need to keep your sort of fingers in a few pies and, and know about cranberry juice and beetroot juice and compression socks and all these other things. Specifically what I deal with is, is hydration. Um, so I work for Precision Hydration, some of the listeners might have listened to Andy before and know a little bit about what that means, but essentially we try and personalise hydration strategies for athletes, um, looking at what they lose through their sweat, you know, the concentration of their sweat, the volume of their sweat, and match what they lose to what they replace. So that's sort of my day-to-day thing now is all things hydration, but that does go quite hand-in-hand hand with the nutrition side of things and that fueling. Um, 
you know you get your hydration right and the other big lever that you need to nail is your hydration so we we're always talking about the two um and i really enjoy that side of things as well um i think there's so a lot so as a sport yeah as a sports scientist did you you still had to learn all the other the physiology and the, me the mechanics of of sports and and all that other sort of stuff so you've just decided to specialize in hydration yeah exactly yeah my undergraduate degree was very broad like you say biomechanics some psychology was in there and then the yeah. further down you start to specialize and for me my interest was really in the physiology side I love yeah. learning about the body um, and I suppose sports science is really looking at the human body and trying to tailor it to performance and health how can we get the most out, out of ourselves and it's all them like minor yeah. minor differences and minor changes and improvements that you can make yeah and, and you were talking about how um, hydration and nutrition go hand in hand. And certainly from my own experiences, I've, I've um, had the nutrition fine, but because I didn't have the hydration, right, the nutrition didn't work. So they really are, they are very much closely linked. Definitely, definitely. That is, that's the topic that any, any athlete I sit down with, it, it comes up, you mm. know, um, I think because the, the way you can take both in is, you know, a lot of people use energy drinks and they, they literally are interlinked for a lot of people. And at times that's fine. And maybe we'll dive into this later in the conversation and at times mm. it doesn't work. Mm. And so I think it's educating athletes about them differences. It's being aware that what you usually do will probably work in a lot of scenarios, but at time, you know, if you're off to go do a really hot ultra, then we might need to look at adjusting these, these things. So, yeah, yeah def definitely very closely related. Yep, definitely, I agree. And what is your athletic background in uh, sports or endurance sports? My <clears throat> sort of background when I was younger and my teenage years was, was a track runner. I loved track, um, middle distance with eights and fifteens. And then in the winter, I was out doing cross country, which I did actually really awesome. enjoy. I did yeah. enjoy the sort of the mud and the guts needed for that. Um, I did a lot of team sports as well. I, I was one of them all rounders really. And then I did start to take the running more seriously as I got a bit older, but um, I hit university and I think it goes one of two ways. You either take it really, really seriously and you fall in with, you know, a coach and things um, or it goes the other way and you find alcohol and partying. And I definitely was unfortunately oh, yeah. the latter. Um, no regrets. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, well, no, I agree. <laughs> I sort of had a very good routine before uni and then I sort of lost yeah. it and enjoyed myself. Um, but I went on a bit of a journey and by the end of uni, I'd kind of refound really my love for running. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I love running. I've always loved running. Um, I never understood. I get asked all the time when I was younger, well, why do you run? You know, then people that, I, for me, they just don't, they don't know the joy of running if they're yeah. asking that question. Um, <laughs> I love it. So now I'm sort of looking to do more challenges. Um, this year, the plan was to do a triathlon. I work with a bunch of triathletes. It's, it's all we ever talk about. <laughs> so um, I was really keen to, to try one. But next year, with 2020 being what it has been, yeah. next year, that's the goal. Do you think there will be any triathlons in, in England next year? I I'd like touch wood, yeah. summer. But who yeah. knows? I think, you know, staggered start. I don't think it'll yeah. be racing as we know it, but I like to think that there'll be some racing. I think people yeah. will get inventive. We've seen yeah. that this year. Um, I hope I hope so. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what we were saying earlier as well, is people have been really creative with coming up with uh, FKTs and um, different kinds of challenges and, you know, running a certain amount of kilometres a day or whatever it is. So I, I think that people will find a way to get races back on. Definitely. Yeah, they've been super inventive this year. Haven't they? I can't believe some of the things people have been doing. It's very mm. inspiring. You know, there's mm. literally no reason to sit back and say, well, there's no race in this year. So I'll hang the trainers up and sit on the couch. Absolutely yeah. not. No, <laughs> no, I agree. Now, um, we also talked earlier about discussing some uh, myths and misconceptions as well as listener questions. I've got a, f a few listener questions. But um, I thought we'd run through the, the myths and misconceptions first. And the first one is, can you overload on sodium or have too much? And is too much sodium actually bad for you? So I really like this question. And this is, again, right up there with sort of one of our most frequently asked questions. I think that's because what we do at Precision Hydration, as I've explained, we try and personalise athlete strategies based on what they're losing with what they need to replace. And... With that in mind, we have different strength electrolyte drinks to try and match their losses with their intake. And our highest strength drink, our pH 1500, has about two to three times the sodium content of other sports drinks. And I think when you sit with an athlete and they hear that, naturally their next question is, well, can I take too much? You know, because we're all conditioned to that salt and sodium yeah. is bad for us and we should be having a low sodium diet. So people hear that and they think, oh, but can I take too much or can I overload or overdose? And it's a really good question. And I like it because it always means the athletes thinking about it and yeah. they're listening and they're paying attention. Theoretically, yes, you, you can take too much as with sort of any nutrient, you can take too much of it. Yeah. Will you do that through a sports drink? Very, very highly unlikely. Um, it sounds scary two to three times the amount yeah. of other sports drinks, but it's nothing versus like a Domino's pizza. <laughs> Good so point. <laughs> it's, it's all relative. And so my answer is no. And if you ever acutely took a little bit too much, if you did just, you know, smash a high sodium containing drink all day and you sat on the couch, you're not sweating it out, then you might feel thirsty and your body will be craving plain water to balance out, you know, that difference. Um, but nothing sort of, too extreme should happen to you if you're a fit healthy human being yeah i've also heard that um you shouldn't take extra salt in your drinks because all you'll do is sweat it out and become a salty sweater see sweat sodium concentration is is rather stable throughout mm. life it's <clears throat> largely genetically determined so it okay. won't change um just you know regardless of differences in your diet it may slightly change. We've seen sort of a change of up to 10 millimole per litre um, either side. If you eat a very high salty diet for like three, four days, you've got a really okay. salt load okay. or have a, have a depleted salt diet for a few days. It might reduce slightly. But what we've never seen is this drastic change in category. So maybe I yeah. should put some numbers on this for listeners. When we measure a, an athlete's sweat sodium concentration, we see a continuum of as low as around two to 300, which is very dilute salt, milligrams of sodium per litre, two to 300. And at the other end, super salty, up to 2000 milligrams of sodium per litre. So a tenfold difference between mm. some people for no other reason other than the fact that their genetics are just different. You know, 
the, the salty people, their sweat glands don't reabsorb as much sodium as the non-salty people. And it, and it yeah. just is what it is. That will, you know, we could measure that next week, next year, next month, and they'll always stay in these these categories. So you've got low, moderate, high, and um, right at the top there, we'd have them classes very high. Yeah. So if they, they eat more salt, it might acutely increase, or if they eat less salt, it might acutely decrease, but we never see this drastic jump on that continuum. Okay. It largely yeah. is stable. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good to know. So, um, we always hear that more, we shouldn't get more than 2% dehydrated because suddenly our performance will, will drop off. Is it true that more than 2% dehydration is detrimental to performance? I think this, is, this needs quite like a good answer um, mm. because where this all kind of stemmed from, the early um, research in dehydration, the early guidelines from the American College of Sports Medicine was the recommendations for hydration where you need to replace a hundred percent of your mm. fluid losses. So everything that you sweat out, you need to be putting back in a hundred percent. That's just unrealistic for, for some people. Some people have sweat rates of two, three liters per hour yeah. to consume two to three liters per hour of fluid is completely unrealistic and mm. actually verging on dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, that is over drinking. What you run the risk of then is, a condition called hyponatremia low blood sodium levels and essentially just diluting your salt so extremely in the body and you're just flushing the system and that can be you know in very extreme circumstances fatal mm. but it can leave you with headaches dizziness confusion um swelling you know it's, it's a really extreme condition so then they revised their guidelines a few years later i think 2007 when they realized that oh perhaps that's not actually the best advice they went a bit more conservative and that's where that two percent threshold came in and they said um it was something like drink to no more than two percent um body weight loss um to avert i can't remember the exact word they used but basically to advert poor performance so mm. to maintain good performance don't let yourself get any more than two percent dehydrated and that two percent came from sort of older lab-based studies that they'd done that weren't solely bad they you know we, we learn a lot from them but they don't reflect real life and yeah. what I mean by that is what a lot of them did is they took two groups and they would drastically dehydrate one group before exercise they dehydrate them that two percent before they did their exercise and then lo and behold the ones that started dehydrated didn't perform well you know yeah. as we all know because what athlete goes into a race purposely having dehydrated yeah. themselves you know it doesn't reflect real life so whilst it showed that yes dehydration is is limit a limiting factor on performance it's perhaps not true that that two percent is like this solid line in the sand yeah. um what you actually see out in the field is that athletes can withstand you know up to six percent dehydration and they still perform very very well um, Hallie Gabriel Selassie right, famously yeah. has this huge sweat rate yeah. when he um, broke the uh, marathon world record in Berlin he was 10% dehydrated at the end wow. you know and it's very tricky because the argument is to say well if he'd been better hydrated would he have gone even faster but I mean he's he's just broken <laughs> the world record enough. so it can't yeah. be exactly it can't <laughs> be that bad for you so yeah, that's right. the contemporary kind of theory now is that the elite are better at withstanding 
um, this greater dehydration, they're perhaps more accustomed to it, which I quite like the idea of. And I have to say, I think there's probably some legs in that. The fitter you are, maybe the more accustomed you are to like, you know, your your body isn't panicking as much at this yeah. greater level of dehydration because you're more used to it. That's not to say that letting yourself get horrifically dehydrated yeah. is a good thing. You know, yeah. dehydration does have an effect on performance and you do want to maintain good hydration. Yeah, yeah. And and especially, you know, in, in ultras when you're out for so long, it's it's even more important, I guess, because you can also be somewhere really remote and be dehydrated. So keeping on top of it is important and um you know many of these tests on hydrations on on anything in in sports have been done on men so has do women and men have different hydration needs or or do we even know if they do really i love this question i think to start we need to know more because as you've said we just it's just a problem in the field we just need more Mm. research on women i think this year i've seen a lot of talk about this it really does seem to be getting more airtime that you know people are not happy about the discrepancies between males and females and people or people researchers study groups always use the excuse of well it's easy to recruit men and list all these reasons and i think people are just like have had enough now and that that's just rubbish you know there's so many fit women out there it's not that hard (laughs) let's do these studies we need to know more so i think we're going to start to see a change in the tide there touch wood i hope yeah on the hydration front my gut my experience of working with athletes um i've never made a, a difference in the advice i give an athlete based on their sex um i think we there's more important factors to look at on an individual level. So I look at the person's size, the person's sweat composition, their sweat rate, what sport they do, what level they compete at, what environment they're in. I think all these other factors have a greater influence on their hydration strategy and the advice I give them than their sex. However, from the sports science side, having a look at the literature, I do think that there are, subtle changes in a woman's fluid and sodium balance over their menstrual cycle Mm. i just don't think them differences are great enough to warrant a change in their strategy um, in what we'd recommend i'd say at times based on what phase they're in in their menstrual cycle they might um, consume a a greater volume of fluid um, but not what's the composition of that fluid doesn't necessarily need to change if that makes okay. sense, Isabel. So yeah. I think there's yeah. subtle differences, um, yeah. but not not enough to warrant, you know, women should be doing this and men should yeah. be doing that. Yeah. Um, I think it's close enough that we look at them other factors first and they make a bigger difference. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's and yeah, the individual uh, as opposed to as a group. So that would be absolutely more appropriate anyway. So can you drink just pure water? to thirst and and that will do the trick and you'll be fine for for racing i think or training at times yeah at times i'd say yes and this phrase it depends we use a lot um i think if you know across sports science that phrase should be used a lot more it depends because the individual variation is massive i it's very hard to give blanket statements and blanket recommendations for anything um so I think it depends with the water one, you know, 
if it's a mild cool day you're not you're, you're not going to be sweating too much you're doing a short session you're doing a tempo um, like a threshold run um, then plain water should be absolutely fine you you might create some kind of sodium deficit if you're sweating a bit but nothing so drastic yeah. that you're not going to just put that sodium back in in the food and the, the meal that you have after that run um, so at times plain water there's absolutely times when plain water is okay times when you might want to be rethinking that is when you're sweating more you're out for longer it's a hot day um you're racing yeah them kind of scenarios circumstances is when you might want to be thinking about your sodium losses and putting something back on board yep all right so now um some listener questions and one of the listeners wants to know what's the most efficient way for a cool climate runner to adapt to training and racing in the tropics that's a good one that is a good one so yeah. i think when you're um thinking about going out and being in the heat it's about what you want to do in the heat it's, are you going on vacation and you just want to keep fit like do a couple of workouts to keep fit or are you talking about going into the heat and and racing if you want to go and perform in the heat you definitely need to work at it yeah. um, it's not something you can just rock up and expect to run how you have been in the call certainly i think that's where this person's question is possibly coming from it sounds like he wants well, to go i and know race. yeah i know he's actually moved um so he's living somewhere that's quite hot now and tropical fantastic so yeah he'll so be doing he's, all he's, his training and racing there so if he's there for good, he'll, he'll naturally start to um, acclimate. So what you want to be getting, you want to be getting these heat adaptations. And you can do that two ways, heat acclimation or heat acclimatization. Yep. Heat acclimation is gaining them heat adaptations through an artificial environment. So it's like taking hot baths, going in the sauna, um, yep. running with, with more layers on if you're in the cold, um, going in a heat chamber artificially raising that body core body temperature to induce greater sweating heat acclimation uh, heat acclimatization sorry is is doing it in a natural environment so oh. going out to that hot place um and running in 30 35 degree heat whatever it is um, but the aim of the two is the same it's to increase that core body temperature and induce profuse sweating so that's what yep. you want to do to gain heat adaptations and you start to see when you become adapt, adapted to the heat, you start to see a lowering in your heart rate, a lowering in your core body temperature. You begin to sweat earlier and earlier onset of sweating and you sweat greater. Your sweat rate yeah. actually increases because sweating is your cooling mechanism. So it's, it's that cooling mechanism getting better. I think people tend to think of um, sweating lots as being a sign of being unfit, perhaps, you know, yeah stereotypically in your head the person at the back is the one that's sweating loads they're red in the face and they're struggling but actually to sweat a lot is is quite good the fitter we get we sweat more because it's mm. our cooling mechanism becoming more efficient um your your um cardiac output and your stroke volume will get better so some some advice to how someone would would do that as i say saunas baths more layers if it's a cool day um but just get out there as well just if he's in the hot climate just get out there start easy and build yeah. up be really conscious of pacing to begin with you won't be able to go out and run at the same intensity 
as you were back home or you know back in the call environment so just ease into it um think about the timing of the day don't go out in like the midday sun try and sandwich the day early in the morning or late in the evening to begin with and, and again slowly ease yourself into them greater temperatures wear appropriate clothing um put some sun cream on and just just be smart um yeah. if it like the best way if you're going out to race in a hot climate the most efficient way to heat adapt for that is to get yourself in that climate yeah. you know get out there early for a couple of weeks if you can 10 days a week whatever you can sort of factor in and just get out in the environment and you it does take between seven and ten days to um acclimate to to the heat what about like um because not just when you're running but the rest of the day uh should you be sitting in an air-conditioned room or should you be you know trying to get used to the heat of the day regardless of whether you're running or not i think it'd be good to stay in the environment if you can um mm. i mean take that with a pinch of salt you know when you finish that run you may need to go and cool down yes um but throughout the day um it's good to stay in the environment get used to it absolutely and just but just yeah. be sensible because if it is really hot really humid you will just be passively sweating throughout the day so you do need to be really on it with your hydration um yeah. and be aware of that up regulation in in fluid loss just throughout the day not just around your training session Yep. All right. Next question. Salt tablets. When should you consider taking salt tablets? If you're running longer than a set period of time or you're, if you're a heavy or light sweater or are they not necessary? Or, I mean, I think we're like salt tablets are, are, are they still used much as salt on their own kind of thing? I think I work with quite a few athletes that, that use them. Um, I would say it comes back to firstly, do you need that salt or, or not? Let's assume that a person does. We've got someone that's really sweaty. They've got high sweat sodium concentration. So we're looking at their strategy for this ultra that they're doing. They're a great way of getting salt in, getting sodium in efficiently yeah. um, because you've not got to, it's not mixed in with the fluid. You can rely on aid stations and picking up bottles of water and yeah. swallowing them with a mouthful. You've just got to be more conscious with the salt tablets that, you have got to be getting that fluid in alongside them. Um, another one is, well, again, if I'm working with a triathlete and they're starting the bike with their pre-mixed up bottles, once they've gone through them, rather than faffing with mixing up more bottles, they may just decide to take some sweat salt capsules with them and move on to them once they're out of their, their pre-mixed fluid, um, setting themselves up for the run. So I think there is a, there is a time and a place the salt capsules yeah. um again I'd, I'd sit down with the an, an individual and work out whether we feel yeah. it's the right the right strategy for them or not yeah and and would you if you were planning on taking them so he's also asking when would you take them um would it be like if i know i'm, I'm doing an ultra would i say so i'm going to be out let's say for eight hours would i start taking them straight away or wait till two or three hours in um it depends what you've done pre we yeah. we're very big on the on pre-hydration um mm. we have a great blog on how to start hydrated and perhaps we can link that in the show notes or something yeah. and people can go and have a read on that more yeah. um but you you want to be you know ideally your strategy you don't wait until you're dehydrated or depleted on sodium it 
in a yeah. long race like an eight hour ultra you do need to be more proactive so i would encourage someone from the off to be yeah in hour one yeah taking some sodium some fluid um so certainly not waiting till you're in this deficit to then act um yeah, yeah. but listen to your thirst on the fluid consumption the longer your event gets you know an ultra like an eight hour you do need to be more mindful and you might have to build in a bit more of a plan with your drinking than say you know a three-hour marathon because three hours yeah you can kind of probably have a few sips but you can get away with it more yes. and i always you, if people can afford to get away with it eight hours it's going to trip you up if you're if you're yeah. not mindful of it at all and if you're just really laissez-faire about it so starting to build in a bit more of a structure and being more mindful that okay each hour i want to be drinking about a bottle having yeah. that in your mind having a kind of it's not set in stone by any means again listen to your body always on what it's craving is it water is it a bit more salt is it calories etc etc but you definitely need to be more mindful in them longer events than the shorter ones yep next is it true that during taper and post race we need to increase our fruit and vegetable intake because when we slow down or reduce training after weeks of building up our immune system is compromised and therefore we will get sick so this person has been told by someone um, that they need to increase their fruit and veg intake during the taper, which, um, I mean, I, I'm not always mad keen on increasing your fibre during taper, but anyway, um, but, and post-race because of, you know, the immune system. Yeah, good question. Um, I wrote a blog a few months ago, the start of all this coronavirus about yeah. the immune system i find it really interesting um i again like you isabel i wouldn't recommend specifically i'd never say to an athlete you know one thing to do in your taper is increase your fruit vegetables yeah. because of the high fiber content yeah. i'd just say that's a good thing to be doing in general yes. you know a, a, a good volume of fruit and um, yeah. vegetables in your diet um yeah, I would, I would actually avoid too much fibre in the close proximity to your yeah. race um, because anyone that's done that has probably not ended too well. Um, on the immune system, though, that, that post-race effect on the immune system is really interesting. Um, and it's, it's, it is true. I do Exercise is actually very good for the immune system. It was kind of misinterpreted when all the the studies were first done on it because the, the immune cells you see an influx in the blood when you during exercise you see this massive spike and then we stop exercising and they drop they all disappear yeah, okay. from the blood and so people called it this open window theory where because we've got these diminished immune cells for two to three hours after exercise they thought we were more susceptible to infections, to picking up coughs and sneezes, etc. And after two to three hours, they slowly start to come back to normal. Actually, what we know now is they all disappear from the blood in that period because they shoot off to places like the lungs and other mm. areas where the body thinks we might have become sort of more vulnerable to um, pathogens. The lungs being a, a good example because our breathing rate increases when we're exercising the likelihood of us um, inhaling something nasty increases mm. so it's actually the body being very clever and mm. sending these immune cells off to where it thinks it needs them so that should we have um, 
you know been exposed to anything not so nice it's there ready to attack it and and prevent us being ill so it shouldn't come as any surprise that actually exercise is is very good for us you know as we all know yes. um but it is true where there have been a few studies done that show um there's a half marathon one again it might have been the berlin marathon that runners do seem to get more ill after something like a marathon or a half marathon they followed up with people and they said have you experienced any of these symptoms and it was around a third of people were experiencing something like a cold um again limitation of that is it's just like hearsay no one was yeah. tested to see if it was actually a cold it's yeah. you know people saying they've got a bit of a cough or got a bit of a sniffle so we don't know for sure how accurate that is but i think there are factors around exercise that can make you more vulnerable to disease if you really push yourself you let yourself get glycogen depleted mm. and if you don't wrap up warm afterwards you know if you let yourself get cold if you don't rehydrate properly if you don't sleep well afterwards so i think if you manage your training and you're racing really well and you look after yourself exercise is great for the immune system you're not going to get ill if you are constantly energy depleted you're not taking yeah. enough calories you're running low all the time you're not rehydrating you're not resting enough you're basically using exercise to run yourself down i think there is a likelihood that you will get ill but in general, exercise is good for the immune system. Yep, yep, I agree with that. Next, what is the effect of a job where we do a lot of standing, walking, lifting and bending? Can this be sort of included as training? Um, or do, and also, do we need to take it into consideration when planning our training? I would say yes. Um, it's all load, isn't it? So yeah. you do need to factor in how busy you've been in a week. You know, if you're having a really manual week and you feel tired, that is all stress being put on the body. And so I would encourage an athlete to tailor back on their training if they're having a heavy work week. Because um, it's all stress of some kind, be it physical, mental, emotional, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's actually fantastic to have a manual job for health. Um, yeah. I had this fantastic lecture that I'll never forget back at university. And it was looking at who, who is more healthy. Is it the manual labourer, you know, the landscaper out in the garden mm. all day for eight hours? Or is it the office worker that sits down all day, but then goes to the gym and does a really mm. intense one hour? And actually it's the, it's the manual labourer, the one that's on his feet for eight hours. Okay, it's low intensity relatively, mm. unlike the gym worker that goes and does one hour and smashes it high intensity. But it's that person that's just burning through calories and through energy all day that is considered, you know, the better alternative. Um, so absolutely to factor in what you're doing in life into your training load and if you're feeling run down take a look at you know the whole picture not just the, those training sessions you're doing um, so would you say that someone who for instance works as a gardener a landscape gardener or something like that would perhaps have a, a lower mileage than someone who works in an office possibly again i'd, I'd want to sit down with them and yeah. really delve into their goals and what they're doing um, but certainly, you know, that will have an effect on how many calories they should be consuming and, mm. and when they want to be planning their big sessions. You know, if they work Monday to Friday and they're really busy, but they want to do 
right, when should I do my hard session? Well, maybe Sunday then, you know, yeah. give yourself that day to recover and then smash Sunday. Because yeah. if you try and do that on Friday evening, it's just not going to work. So yeah, I get, it, it gets boring, but you've got to sit down with a person and look at all the individual factors. Once again, it depends. It depends. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. No, <laughs> no it's, it's absolutely true. Um, is the 10% rule on increasing mileage really true? Um, I saw an article about this on Twitter the other day and I should have clicked on it and read it, but um, I'm going to say I, I, I don't feel in the position really to comment Isabel yeah. on that one. I, yeah. I don't yeah. know enough about it to, yeah, yeah. to no, say. Yeah, because once again, it seems like an arbitrary rule, just like the 2% dehydration. Um, and, you know, seeing as we're all different, it seems unusual that everyone would have the same rule. Exactly. What will work for some people won't necessarily work for you. And that's one of them lessons that I tell most athletes is the worst thing you can do is look at what your friend's doing. Yeah. That's working for them and try and replicate it just because it works for them by no means it will work for you exactly. stick with what works for you that's the, the golden thing that we're all looking for as athletes is yeah. this equation that works be it nutrition hydration training whatever it is if it's working stick with it of course analyze it and refine it and see can it be a little bit better yeah. always looking to optimize things but just because someone else is doing something don't change up everything that's ever worked for you because matey over here is suddenly yeah. having great success because he's doing x y and z you know yeah yep no that's fair enough <clears throat> um you did sort of touch on this before uh you were saying when getting used to running in the tropics you should change your pace and that was one of the questions say it's you know like in australia we're coming into summer now and so when running in the heat of summer what sort of leeway should we give ourselves when it comes to pace like obviously we shouldn't be certainly at the start of summer aiming for the same paces but like should we just then plod what what should we do yeah good question um i back my first job was as an exercise physiologist at the porsche human performance lab and we had a heat chamber okay. and we'd have lots of conversations around this because come session one we'd get them on and we'd start them walking actually yeah. And but the heat chamber was like 30 plus degrees, it was really tense, and it, the humidity was very high in there. It's a very small yeah. room, and it got very humid. Um, and you get them athletes, they just couldn't get their head around that. Why would I want to walk? You know, I'm here yeah. for my session, I'm you know, I want to push it. Um, but it is so intense the effect the heat has on the body. Anyone will know that first summer day, particularly coming out of like off season, perhaps, yeah. and you try and go out for your run, and it really hits you. Mm. um and slowly we'd build up a plod so again i can't put an arbitrary value no, on no. on on that reduction in pace just know it will be there um i would have a look at your numbers really go off feel you need to be really good at listening to your body um i would go without any music so you can really listen to your breathing really try mm. and be in tune with your body um and and how you're feeling um you know if you're someone that uses heart rate perhaps have a look at your heart rate I would try and your heart rate will if you try and go out at your normal pace your heart rate will be higher mm. and that's because your body is battling trying to supply both the muscles and the skin with blood 
to keep you cool. You know, the muscles want blood because they want the oxygen to keep fueling. Um, exercise, the skin wants blood to, to cool us down. So the heart rate has got to increase to meet both demands. Normally yeah. it's just being sent to the muscles, but now it's got to meet two, two organs yes, as right. such. Yeah. Um, so a good, a good guide would be to go out and try and keep that heart rate where it normally is it normally is and so you will have to dial back the pace um, in order to to meet that that might be a good starting um, point but really the best advice I can give is is just listen to your body to begin with Um, yeah it will be frustrating athletes are so frustrated (laughs) not being able to stick at their normal pace but you will get back there as you adapt and as I say it only takes seven to ten days two weeks and and you can be running at that pace and heart rate will have come back down breathing rate will be down you'll be feeling more comfortable it won't be feeling as hard so it will come you just a little bit of patience in the heat yep yep um the last question is how many ultra races a year should we do as a races like as our you know number one sort of priority races uh, you hear of many ultra athletes, you know, doing just racing pretty much constantly. Um, what What's actually, you know, and you hear about top marathoners would only do two marathons a year. So, and yet, so what is the, the sort of the, I know you can't give a definitive number, but, you know, in general, should we be doing 10 to 20 ultras a year or is there a sort of more of a, a lesser number? Yeah. I think it will be a lesser number is <laughs> my, is my gut. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm going to be really boring and say individual. I'd look at a person's training history and sort of see what load that they can take. If it's someone that's sort of more on the fragile end of the, of the spectrum, they're not quite so good with, with load or um, then you'd be looking at a lesser number perhaps. If it's someone that's historically quite robust, um, then they could perhaps be looking at doing a few more, but. But even then, even someone who's robust, um, I can imagine that doing too many races still, there's a, there's a point of diminishing returns. You can't give you 100% every time, can you? No, absolutely. Absolutely not. So it, take careful planning um, mm. down to the individual. I, it would be, it, you know, in my head, two is, is like per year is a pretty yeah. good number. Um, yeah. I mean, it's okay to got, do other it's all, ones. It's all absolutely, races, yeah. yeah absolutely yep. as your a race because it's all the build-up and it and yep. it's the time needed afterwards you know yes, when you exactly. start to look at that over the year and you start to plan that out you put too many more in than that and it all but starts to there's not a lot of time between them when you think yep. of that that build-up and that taper and time afterwards and yeah so absolutely there's you can have a few b races in there but talking about a races it, it it's yeah it's two yeah maybe three if you're you know if the timings work yeah yep no i'm i'm definitely in agreement with that i i think um some ultra runners get really excited about racing which i get and especially coming into next year after i'm having not really raced much i I think there'll be a lot of over racing going on as soon as races start up again yeah i'm sure people just like can't wait to get out the gates He's yeah. so eager, yeah. Yeah, but maybe just, just do some of those races just for fun and, you know, and still focus on a couple of A races. Yeah, yeah, good advice. Yeah. All right, was there anything else that you thought we should talk about or? Anything? I think we've done all the myths, haven't we? We've, yeah. we've busted some good myths. They were some good questions from, yeah. from the audience. Yeah. Um, 
no i'm happy i finished Excellent. my coffee it's, it's <laughs> that whole job <laughs> yeah it's gone oh my god time for some breakfast oh yeah oh that'd be nice yeah well it's time for dinner for me so there you go at the opposite ends of the day we are it's yeah. bonkers isn't it i think it is. is it about 16 hours difference at the moment well no is it no as much as that no, it's... Um, what time is it there now? It's just after 7pm and you would be after just, just after 8. It's 11 hours. After now, 8. Yeah. 11 hours. Oh, okay, not so great. Yeah, you're just minus 11 hours, I believe. So, yeah. Mm. I'm not that far in the future. No. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird though, isn't it? You know, yeah. you've done the day. I'm starting the day. Yeah, it that's is right. I know, it's, it's crazy. And yet, talking to you and, and really, we had a little bit of internet issues before, but really it's so good you wouldn't know you're on the other side of the world so it's pretty amazing it works well doesn't it it works yeah. well 2020 the year of the year of zoom and i know i remember the first time i used zoom i was nervous now i'm an old hand <laughs> so i had this conversation yesterday with some friends i said i i hated it to begin with yeah. and now it's just so natural so that's, normal that's it. exactly it's funny isn't it we adapt we adapt just like we adapt to the heat we adapt to technology that's a good round off. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Putting it all together. That's it. All right. Thank you so much for um, spending some time chatting with us and answering questions. We really thank appreciate you for it. Having and we'll, me. we'll put the um that uh the prehydration blog in the show notes and um also there is a discount code that uh, I was told about that I'll put in the show notes too for listeners as well for Yes, fantastic. I think it gets you 15% off your first yep. order or something like that. So yep, if anyone, yeah, if this has resonated with anyone, go check out yep. the website, precisionhydration.com. We've got yep. loads of good blogs along, yep. you know, similar and, and lines of yeah. and how so, to start hydrated during, after, yeah. and, and all and of that. And it's getting hot here in Australia. So it's, I think it's really important for athletes here to focus on that. Yeah, and one thing I'll mention um, on that, you can book at the moment a one-on-one -on -one call with one of the members of the team. So if someone wants to have a conversation about, because I've said it so many times in this chat, yeah. it's all individual. You know, yes. we want to talk to the athlete. What is it that they do? What is their yeah. sweat rate like? And you need to kind of have that conversation. We are doing video calls at the moment. So you can come and talk to us on Zoom, like we're doing now. We're <laughs> um, all old naturals at it. for Zoom, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> excellent well that Fantastic. sounds really good yeah and and of course the time difference isn't that bad so you know easy enough to set up yeah no we can we can work it out excellent all right well thank you so much for your time thank you thanks isabel take care bye. you too bye So basically, it depends. That's the thing with running. It's very much individual-based, an experiment of one. Although there are general rules of thumbs that are great to adhere to, it is often best to work things out to how they suit you personally or to consult an expert in the field to find out what suits you. And this is in regards to many of the components of running, nutrition, hydration, training, recovery, injury rehabilitation, and so on. Anyway, I hope the interview got you thinking. Have a great week of training and have a wonderful Christmas.